Um, but th those of you that don't know me, my name is Clyde, as already been said. Um, we lead a, I lead a church called uh, Victory Church in Combran. Um, we are a church that sees a lot of people get saved. Um, we unashamedly are very gospel focused and gospel centered. And um, one of the things that my friendship with Mike has developed is this willingness and this hunger to just learn from you guys um, and also hopefully impart something of our evangelistic edge. So hopefully you'll get something today which you can carry into your daily life. And I want to make sure that we give plenty of time for questions. So please, when we get to 22, just stop me. Just say, Clyde, shut up now. You've said enough, right? And we'll try and maybe go even a little bit shorter than that. Let me tell you what I don't want to do here. Um, I don't want to lay a full theology of evangelism. I'm going to assume that we all believe that we should evangelize, that we should reach out to people who don't yet know Jesus. And I'm also going to assume that we all accept that everyone should be doing that. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. So whether we feel like we're good at it or not so good at it, we all, uh, that's the premise that I'm coming from. And I want to start by looking at Mark chapter 14. Sorry, I did forget to tell you. Um, we also run a network of drug rehabilitation centers and alcohol rehabilitation centers, uh, which we started a couple of years ago. So I'll maybe tell you a couple of stories that link in with that as well. Um, and hopefully you'll get the picture. Is that okay? Yeah. Everyone okay with where we're going? Let me start off by saying that in our culture today, I believe we need a culture of courageous witness. A culture of courageous witness. A lot of the time as Christians, I think that we allow the culture out there to infiltrate the way we live our lives. And of course we do because everything influences us. But we're called by God to be countercultural. So we are actually called to be light and salt bearers to a lost and dying world. And everywhere we go should be different when we walk in. Now, how many of you wake up feeling like that? I don't always, <laughs> I, I want to say something, I don't always wake up feeling super anointed like, man, the devil's going to run a mile when I start this day. Because we never base our faith on feelings. And this is really important. When you get up in the morning, I'm sure like me, some days you feel full of fire, you feel so excited and you, you got that, that spark in you and you know, man, this is going to be a good day. Other days, you just, you just are thanking God, Lord, in advance, I don't want to see anyone who doesn't know you yet because I don't feel like I've got anything in me to give. That's normal, yeah? So don't expect that you're suddenly going to get to this place where everything is going to be easy when it comes to infiltrating the culture with Jesus. So how do we create a culture of contagious witness? Well, in Mark chapter 14, and this is the, probably the most oddest um, message that I'm going to give you on, in, in evangelism, but hopefully you'll get where we're going with this. So in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is approaching his death. He has the Last Supper. And really, this is, in, in my mind, a really important moment. This is Jesus's last celebration with his followers, and he wants to teach them something very profound. I'll pick it up in verse 23. Um, it says, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. 
I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. I love that verse. Every time I read this passage in my devotions, and I probably go through the New Testament a couple of times a year, every time I read this verse, the Holy Spirit stops me and he reminds me that after we have sung our hymns, after we've had our Bible studies, after we've done all the teaching and all the prophetic stuff, and after we've been in great meetings like we were last night with the presence of God moving, there comes a moment when we have to go out. They sang a hymn and they went out. And I think the church is very good at singing hymns. In fact, I think we're incredibly good at the internal stuff. I think we're actually a lot better at the internal stuff than we give ourselves credit for. Most people, when they actually cross the door of a church, generally their perception changes. Now I accept that not every church that is the case for, but I know for you guys, with the kind of churches that you're building and that you're a part of, that is more than likely the case. We kind of know now how to accommodate new believers in church. But what we're not very good at is the going out bit. What we're not very good at is what Mike's, Mike calls everyone being a witness. And I, I really want to pick up on Mike's um, phraseology of everyone a witness. We use slightly different language, but it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. We just, up to our people, we say the heart of this church is to reach one more. Is to reach one more. Everyone reach one. Everyone just, just reach one more person. You know how you get to thousands? You reach one more person. And actually, if all of us were just reaching one more person, imagine what would happen in the life of the, of the local church. So, we're picking it up here. And notice what Jesus does. The last thing he does, he breaks bread and he drinks wine with his followers. And he speaks explicitly about his blood. Never be ashamed of the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that saved you from your sin. The reason that you have been reconciled with God today is because he shed his blood on the cross. 15 years ago, when I was a drug addict and I was in prison myself, with 23 hours a day being wasted of my life, locked up, the thing that got me out of that rut was the blood of Jesus. It wasn't my determination. It wasn't my will to change. It wasn't any of that because I'd tried all that stuff many times before. But one day I began to read a Bible. I didn't know Jesus. I'd never been to church. I hadn't really met any lovely Christians like you guys in here today. But somehow the Holy Spirit was able to get in that cell and get a New Testament in my cell that I could begin to read about this man called Jesus who one day sat with his followers and said, my body's going to be broken and I'm going to shed my blood and I'm going to do that for you. That is the gospel. The very last thing that Jesus almost says, apart from his words on the cross and when he's arrested, the little phrases, when, he take, when Simon takes his cross, is a gospel message. And here he is and he's breaking bread and he's drinking wine and he's saying, guys, this is it. This is the message. This, you don't have to add to it. You don't have to take from it. This is what I am giving you to deliver to them. You know, so many people think communion is for just the church. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you read it properly in context, 
actually, how can an unbeliever drink more damnation on themselves? They're already damned. Just think about this for a minute with me. Because we would then be saying, well, you could be more or less damned, wouldn't you? <coughs> Surely an unbeliever is already damned. They're already lost. So actually, this feast, this, this expression of the kingdom, even Judas is there taking communion. <laughs> even Judas is there, and Jesus is saying, this is the gospel. This is what I've got for you. That is what we need to know as Christians, as followers of Jesus. You guys are, I think you're mainly 20s to 30s. I'm 36 years old. Even since I was 20, I can see how culture has changed. But do you know what hasn't changed? The effectiveness of the gospel. The gospel has never changed. We were, sit, we were in the park just earlier on today. A few of us, I went out with some of your guys as well, and we were just wandering around the park talking to people about Jesus. And I spotted this guy, and he was sitting against the tree. He had like multicolored hair. I don't even know what you call the little braidy things. I mean, like your hair there, but very, very small braids. And they were kind of sticking up everywhere. He had piercings all over him. And I thought to myself, in that moment, you could not be further away from me culturally than you are. But do you know what did? Me, the gospel. Because when Jesus shed his blood, he shed it for every human being. Not just for people who are like me or like you. Now, obviously, it's easier for us to reach people who are like us. But when we understand humanity, that humanity is lost and broken, in need of a shepherd, without a saviour, and we understand what God has given us to reconcile people to him, which is not anything of us, it's the gospel, it's the good news, it's the blood, it's the broken body, it's his resurrection, it's him being raised from the dead, it's him ascending back into heaven, and even when we were in that park, he was making intercession for us and for that guy. Do you see that? That's the gospel that we have. That's what we carry. That's what you carry to a lost and broken world. So here we see they sung a hymn and they went out, right? Notice, if you just fast forward a little bit, in this story, they went out and then they all kind of do different things. And we could talk about all the different things that they do and it's a great talk that is. I, I do a study on it, it's amazing. All the different disciples go in different directions. They deny, they hang themselves, they do all kinds of things. They lose their lives, yeah? And they, they, they get to this place where um, every single one of them has had a different response to that gospel message that they heard. John is probably the closest. He runs after Jesus, but most of them forsake him. They flee, they deny, they lose their lives. It all goes a little bit crazy after this moment, doesn't it? But look at verse um, 27 with me. Look what Peter says. Verse 29, sorry. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. That's what Peter says at this point of his life. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Now, Peter here, he has heard the gospel. He has lived with Jesus. This man, he, he knows Jesus. He's walked on water. He's done some incredible things. We heard about that last night, didn't we? And he's literally been up close and personal with Jesus. Jesus has broke bread with him. I mean, how many of us like would love that experience? Jesus, just come and break bread with me. like. And this is a magic moment. And he says, in his, in his enthusiasm, Jesus, I'll never desert you. I'll never deny you. 
Anyone ever said that in a meeting? You feel so full of fire. You feel so excited. Jesus, I'm never going to do that thing again. I promise you. I'm never going to do it again. And then a couple of days later, maybe you're entangled with that thing again. Or you deny him and you promise you never would. And then you feel what? Condemned. You feel guilty. You feel like a failure. You feel small. And the devil then tramples on it and makes you feel like you didn't really mean what you said. I don't think it was that Peter didn't mean what he said. I think it was that at this point, Peter wasn't fully equipped to do what he said. Let me fast forward a little bit more and look at verse uh, 66 with me. Now, Peter does deny Jesus. And it says, Peter was in the courtyard below and one of the servant girls. Now, listen, what what image do you get when you think of a servant girl? Kind-hearted, happy willing to serve, nice. This isn't some scary dude that he thinks he's going to get knocked out by. This is a little servant girl, but in the moment, he does what he promised Jesus he would never do. Look at this. Fear is irrational. And it says, one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and she noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth, but Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out in the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. What was happening with Peter here? Peter was warming himself at the fire. Peter was standing there, and I'm using this as a picture to describe to you what happens when we have the gospel, but we don't have the fire of God. You see, we need the fire of God, not just outside of us, not just warming us from another friend or a Christian or our pastor or our lead elder or someone that we look up to or a role model. We need mentors that are full of fire, but their fire is not our fire. Do you understand that? You know, your neighbor in here today can be so full of fire, they can have led like people to Jesus all day, praying for the sick, they're getting healed. But unless you get that fire from God within your own heart, and you say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to this. I want the fire of God, not just outside of me, not just in my church, not just in my community. I want the fire of God in my heart. Then you're going to be like Peter. And so many Christians that I've met, they live not conscious of the Spirit of God within them. The moment you get saved, you're sealed with the Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and you can listen to his prompting and his voice. We're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute. Let me fast forward you a little bit more, okay? So Peter needed the fire inside of him. Listen to what happened once Peter got the fire inside of him. Remember that famous scripture, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It suggests every different location, and it suggests every layer of our society. Schools, colleges, universities, in our businesses. Some of you are gonna start businesses. Let it be a business that is full of Christ. Let it be a place where people find hope, where generosity, impacts the community that you're a part of. Imagine what would happen if every layer of our society was infected with that. So Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. You remember the scripture. I've not got it on the screen, but it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And all of a sudden there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And a tongue of fire came and sat upon each of their heads. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Every single one of them had a tongue of fire. Every single one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we can feel that an experience in God is for someone else. That's what the devil loves to do. Because he loves to get us out of the race, get us off the field, get us off the track. So that we feel like we don't have what we need. But today you can be filled with the Spirit. And we'll pray for that. We'll pray that you'll be emboldened for witness. And look what happened when Peter no longer just warmed himself with the fire outside of him. Now he had the fire inside of him. Look what happened. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost changed and empowered Peter to be a fearless witness. Now, he wasn't up against a little servant girl. This was a lot more people than that. And he stood up boldly and he declared the good news of Jesus. When Peter was in prison for preaching in the temple courts, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He boldly preached Christ to them in Acts 4 verse 3. So here he is now, even in that situation. You remember the guy at the beautiful gate? He's like, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. This guy now, he had some boldness. He had some courage. He had something about him. Something had got inside of Peter that made all the difference to the way he was now living his daily life. This wasn't just him doing it in church anymore. Now, every time he was out, it seems, something was happening with this man, Peter. Boldly preached Christ. Seeing the courage of Peter, his persecutors concluded he had been with Jesus. Now his persecutors are freaked out because they think, man, this guy's been with Jesus. And we know what's happened with Jesus, right? The believers resolved to honor Christ and they were empowered to speak the word boldly because of Peter. Okay, is everyone with me so far? So. What I've established so far is that, first of all, we need to understand the gospel. We need to know our gospel, what we have for the world. We don't have everything. We can't meet every felt need. The Bible says you will always have the poor with you. And as much as we would like to eradicate poverty, actually, no matter how much we, we do, there's going to still be poverty. But the poverty of the soul and the spirit, we have the answer for. And I honestly believe in any area of our lives, we should run with where God gives us fruit. We have the answer for the sin problem. So why do we focus on so many other problems? And why don't we just get people reconciled with God, back on track, and then surely God is big enough to deal with the other problems in their lives. We need to get people to the feet of Jesus by understanding the gospel. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Without the fire of the Holy Spirit, we can understand the head knowledge of the gospel. We can understand that Jesus came and died and he forgives sin. We can understand all that theory. But unless that results in a fire in our heart, the Holy Spirit taking up residence within us so that we now walk and live and move and have our being in him, then we've missed what God really wants for us. We need to be born again by the Spirit of God. You know, in our church, we have a lot of um, people who have kind of come to faith in the last couple of years with zero church background. Who came to faith in the last two years in this room? Five years? 
last five years? 10 years? Okay, so a handful. So the majority of you have been in church probably most of your lives, am I right? Who's been in church most of their life can kind of remember, yeah? That is awesome. God has kept you from a different kind of lifestyle. And God has saved some of us from a different kind of lifestyle. The other thing we need is like Peter, we need a testimony. See, Peter, in that moment when he met the servant girl, he didn't have his testimony prepared. He didn't know what to say. He went to pot and he lost his footing and he ended up denying Christ. He hadn't prepared beforehand what he was going to do in that moment. He had all the good intentions. And I honestly believe that if he had fully understood and had the fire inside of him, he would have been more prepared in that moment. And maybe it would have been a different story. Later on, in any example you'll see through the book of Acts, Peter is ready with a testimony of who Jesus is. A testimony of the gospel. A testimony of how God has worked to save sinners. Let me ask you, to just think about this. If I said to you now, give your testimony in three minutes, I don't want an answer, could you do it? You see, I can give my testimony in one minute, in three minutes, in 10 minutes, or in 30 minutes, because I've trained myself to do that. So if I've got 30 seconds on a train with someone, I can give them the gospel. If I've got five minutes, I can give him the gospel. Now that's not because, oh Clyde, you know, he's an evangelist, God's called. No, that is because I have trained myself to do it. I know that there's going to be opportunities when I've got a long time with someone. I know there's going to be other times when I've got a few minutes. And I need to be able to get the truth of the gospel to that person in those few minutes. And a great way of doing it, it's not on here, but let me tell you, a great way of doing it is to do your testimony in three parts. Before Christ, at your conversion, so BC, AC, sorry, BC, DC, during conversion, and AC, after conversion. So what was your life like before Christ? So for me, I used to sleep on park benches. You don't need to time this, but you'll see how quick it is. Through an incredible series of events of drug taking, abuse, failed relationships, running away from my parents, covering and home, I ended up in and out of prison. I was in and out of police stations. I landed myself away from my hometown in a place called Bournemouth. It's near the beach. You may have been there on holiday. But it wasn't glamorous for me because I got stabbed, I got attacked, because my life was in such a mess that I would rip anyone off. That was what I was like in my own life. But then there came a moment in prison where a guy bought a Bible, the chaplain, to my cell, and he gave me a Bible, a New Testament Bible. I don't know if you've ever read it, but at the time I thought it was the most boring and irrelevant book. And if I hadn't have had 23 hours a day on my hands, I definitely would not have read it. But as I began to read the pages of that book, something began to happen inside of me. I remember how powerful it was. I used to look out of the cell window and I saw a world that was hopeless. I had no future. I had no hope. And I just didn't know what to do. But when I began reading that book, something began to change. I read about a man called Jesus. I read about all the good stuff he did. And I thought, if he's that good and if he can do it for David in the Psalms, then maybe he can do it for me. 
So I cried out to him in prison, and from that day, my life was never the same. He broke my addiction there, and then he forgave all of my sin, and I knew that the past, which I wasn't proud of, was dealt with. But I also knew that he'd give me a future. And in that prison cell, the verse that he used to speak to me was Psalm 40. He's put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many will see fear and trust in the Lord. And in that moment, he didn't just do something in me. He was preparing to do something through me. And I wouldn't be speaking to you today if he hadn't have done that then. And that day there wouldn't have happened then if this hadn't have happened then. That's why you can trust the word of God. See? That took me two minutes, right? I've prepared that. I know that. And I want to encourage you to be people who are ready with your testimony. You know, in our church, we went through a big thing of training people to give their testimony. And so many people used to say, I don't have a testimony. I grew up in church. I've been in church for as long as I can remember. And I used to say, well, God kept you from some stuff. And then I would say, what was the day that you committed your life to Jesus? Some of them would refer to their baptism. Because you know when you grow up in church, it just feels like you've always been there, doesn't it? You kind of don't even remember, really, do you, in a lot of cases. You know, some people it's just kind of like a bit-by-bit thing. Other people it's more dramatic. Both testimonies are valid. What's your testimony? When you're round a fire with a servant girl, and when you're in that moment where you know that you should give your testimony, are you ready to give it? Because I promise you this, if you're not ready to give it, you won't give it. But if you're armed and ready to give it, you'll give it. Because it's ready. Be ready in and out of season. Be ready to give an answer to the one who asks. That's what the scriptures tell us. Now listen, you don't need to know the question, the answer to every question. We were over there with that guy in the park earlier, and we got speaking to him, me and one of your guys from Relational Mission. And um, we couldn't have been further apart culturally than we were. We got a couple of minutes into the conversation, I thought, this is going all right. He seems like a nice guy. And then the million dollar question here. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, we are, we're followers of Jesus. We're out here today in London, we don't live here. I said, but we just wanna tell you how God has transformed our life and he can do the same for you. And he says, well, I'm gay. I'm a homosexual. What do you say about that? He says, because a lot of my friends, they've been kicked out of churches. A lot of my friends have had no love from churches. He said, two years ago, I started reading a Bible. He said, because I wanted to discover what it was all about myself. And I opened it, and he said, I think he even said Leviticus, to the book of Leviticus, and he said, I read about how I should be stoned. What do you say about that? And in that moment, you need to know, I haven't prepared for that conversation, right? I'm thinking like, what? Okay. And that's where you rely on God. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? And it just came out, really. I just said, I just said, I believe that God has sent me today to be honest and to be vulnerable with you. And to say to you that it sounds like you've heard some bad news, but Jesus came with some good news. I can't account for what every single church in the UK has done. I don't know all of those experiences. There are millions of churches around the world. But not every one of them always does the right thing to love people. So we got into this conversation and he began to open up. Now, did he receive Jesus there and then? No. But I tell you what, he was closer to Jesus when we left than he was when we got there. 
right? Because someone had interjected and said, actually, I don't agree with your lifestyle. Yes, the Bible teaches against that, but we still love you. I sin, he sins, but Jesus is the answer for sin. Yeah? We don't have to have the answer for every question. People would sooner be said, do you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Give me your email address and I'll try and find out and get in touch with you. You don't have to have all the answers to be a good witness. In fact, it's a better witness sometimes to say, do you know what, I don't have the answer. I don't know, I don't know why you've had that experience, but what I can tell you is my experience is not that. So, what is our toolbox? Just quickly, and then we'll have some questions. Our toolbox is words, works, and wonders. Now, let me ask you a question. Who loves praying for the sick? Hands up if you like praying for the sick. Who's seen results in praying for the sick? Yeah? Right, you guys are like wonders people, right? Awesome. Who likes sharing with their words? Few of you, yeah, great. A lot, a lot of you. And who likes doing good works? Yeah, some of you like all three, that's awesome, right? The point I'm trying to illustrate is, most of us have a natural gravity towards one of these or two of these. So like for me, I'm quite, I'm quite, I think I'm quite good with words, I'm quite good at giving my testimony, I'm quite good at preaching, and, and one-on-one or in groups. Um, and works, I'm okay with works, and I'm okay with wonders, I'm learning, I'm growing in wonders, right? Some of us are naturally great at wonders, so what do we do? We tend to focus on what we're kind of already naturally afraid with. So what I used to do is, I used to just get around people who were like me. I used to think, well, that's how it, that's how it should be done. But actually, we do better when we see this as a toolbox. A toolbox that the Holy Spirit can direct us to use in any moment. So for example, uh, two weeks ago in Nando's in, in Newport, uh, we, we were in there with a group of friends from church and I often go into this Nando's. I always try and go in similar places, right? And I do that intentionally and de- deliberately. So for me, it's like Frankie and Benny's, Nando's, Cafe Nero, and because I'm building relationships with people in them places. And there's this little girl who, um, I say little girl, she's small, I mean, and uh, she, she serves us virtually every time. She's such a cool girl. She's so funky. I mean, she, this girl is like, she looks like she's straight out of like some kind of TV episode, right? And so we've been witnessing to her as a church and we've been trying to say to her, come on, come along to church. And every time she like says, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna come. I'm definitely gonna come to your church, right? But every time we're not just waiting for her to come to church, we're offering a prayer. We're prophesying into her life. My friend spoke a word of knowledge over her. She began to weep. This is like four weeks ago. And then two weeks ago, she was serving me at the till. And I was able to pray for her to receive Jesus. There and then in the middle of Nando's. That's that's how this works. Because I'm not afraid to go in for the clothes. (laughs) At the right point. Not straight away necessarily. Yeah? When was it now? This would have been, so that was one, that's, that's salvation with words. A few weeks ago, uh, my friend and I we were out in Newport again, and we were um, just speaking to some people on the streets, and there was a lady, and she had her leg in a cast. Her leg was kind of broken, and she was being pushed in a wheelchair by her friend. Had pain at the side of her hip here as well. We began to speak to her. 
clearly she already went to a church. So my friend pulled out the wonders and he prayed for her and the pain disappeared from her hip. Right? So in that moment, she needed wonders. God needed to use wonders to reach her, to let him know that he loved her. Remember, every one of these things, we're just pointing people to the fact that Jesus loves people. That's what people need to know more than anything. Jesus loves them. How do we know that? Because he laid down his life for them. He didn't lay down his life just for anyone. He laid down his life for even his enemies so that they could be his friends. And that's why he broke that bread in Mark chapter 14. That's why he shed his blood in Mark chapter 14. Because he was saying, I did something for you. Every human being needs to know what he did. And the way they get to know what he did is through us. So how do we use this toolkit? Well, words, so this is the scripture. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one whom they have not believed? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Can I tell you a failure story? Failure story. We were on the way down here in the coach, my wife and I. We got the coach down from Newport to Victoria. And we were, she was, my wife was reading the book and I was reading the um, cool book on the Kindle. <laughs> um, and so I'm reading away. And you know in one of the moments where you can just overhear everything the person next to you is saying on the coach. It's like, you're, you don't want to be earwigging, but you can't help it. So... I'm over here in this conversation and this young girl had lost her mom a year ago. So I'm already hearing this and I'm like, right, grief's going on here, what's going on? And then she's on FaceTime with someone and she's talking about how she's just been with a psychic, something spiritual. Okay, she's trying to find answers. I'm looking at my wife, I'm like, we are like this, this right now. Right? And I knew that I should have spoke to her, but I didn't. Do you know why? Because I lost my nerve at the last minute. Happens to all of us, right? We left that coach, I never spoke to her. Two weeks ago, I let her go to Nando, in Nando's to Jesus. I'm coming down here to preach the next morning about how to do this, and I fail on the coach on the way down here. Do you know what I did? I said to my wife, I said, I'm so gutted I didn't do that. I'm so gutted because I knew I should have done it. But we got in conversation and things moved on. And then before we knew it, we were there. And I just lost my nerve. I was thinking, what if, what if, what if? Anyone ever out there? What if? So I apologized to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I missed that opportunity. But I'm brushing myself off and I'm getting on with it. See, failure is never final. Failure is now a final. Don't be discouraged when you miss it. Three months ago, my wife and I, we were in a restaurant and we were sitting eating our dinner. And I'll just tell you this story and then we'll, we'll move on now some questions. Um, we're having our dinner and it's just me and her. We're having a great time. And all of a sudden I heard, and you know what I mean by when I say this? I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but I just sensed. It was just like I needed to turn round, right? I turned around and I spotted a family of four, two kids and the mom and the dad, they were sitting at the table. They looked like just a normal family. 
carried on talking to my wife, who was at this point like, why are you not looking at me when I'm talking to you? <laughs> and, and we were having this conversation. I said, we need to pay for their meal. And now listen, Clyde is not a very generous person, right? <laughs> People say, how do you know when to pay for someone's lip? I don't tell myself for better pay for people's meals, right? It's not like an ordinary attribute. And normally, if there's a prompting in me to be generous, well, it's biblical, isn't it? Let's be generous, so let's bless. And so I knew, and I said, I said to Bex, I said, we need to pay for their meal. And she's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah. And she says, but there's four of them. <laughs> it's, like, it's fine. We pay for their meal. Before I knew it, we'd been having this conversation back and forth, and he had got up to go to the till. So by this point, we're kind of finishing up. I'm like, right, I'm going to go queue up. And I thought, he's obviously going to go and pay. Maybe we got it wrong, right? Missed opportunity, seemingly. He goes to the till. He swipes his card and it declines. He's there in horror. They've eaten the meal. He couldn't pay for the meal. So I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I said, before you came up here, I'm a Christian. And I don't know whether you think that's weird or not. I said, but I have this thing inside of me and I believe it was God. And he told me to pay for your meal. But I didn't have the courage to get up quick enough. And because I didn't get up quick enough, you, you're here. And for whatever reason, you've not been able to pay the bill. But I'm here to pay the bill for you. So I swiped my card, paid the bill. His wife or girlfriend or whatever came over. They're both crying in the middle of the restaurant. And we're able to tell them about the Lord. Pray for them, bless them. And, you know, just lead them to a point of knowing who Jesus is. That's how this stuff works, right? When we're open to it. Now, look at me, I'm just an ordinary guy, right? There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about any of us apart from we're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. And when we are open to his spirit and what he wants to do through us, amazing things can happen. I could give you story after story but there are times when we need to use our words and there are times when we can miss it. Works, my next door neighbor, I'm not gonna bash her. I'm not gonna knock her door with the biggest King James Bible I can find. Why? Because I'm living next to her, right? I'm gonna get opportunity to witness to her seemingly over the long term. Now I know she could die tomorrow, I get all that, right? But most of the time, we're gonna live our lives in community I'm going to be able to do good works. I'm going to be able to bless her. The other week, she was an elderly lady. She had a load of firewood delivered outside her house. She was moving a bin through to try and get the firewood out to the back garden. So I went out and I said, I'll move that for you. She said, no one on the streets ever offered to do that for me before. I said, well, that's because I love Jesus, so I love you. <laughs> yeah? That's, how he, that's good works, right? These are all in our toolbox. Wonders. As you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of God has come near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Stop thinking, well, I can't do the words bit, or I can't do the works bit, or I can't do the wonders bit. God has given you a toolkit. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me to use the toolkit well. Develop your words. Prepare your testimony. 
Get the gospel in you so you can deliver it in three minutes. Read books about the gospel. Listen to good communicators of the gospel and how they do it. Develop the words bit. Works. Challenge yourself. 40 days of generosity, maybe. 20 days of generosity. Man, if you're not very generous, do five. <laughs> yeah? But challenge yourself to grow in, 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 in works. And wonders. Get around people who move in the miraculous. I mean, I was watching Mike last night, how he, how he did that session at the end. I was like, yes. Come on, I'm learning, I'm watching. I'm growing. Get around people who do wonders. And I guarantee you this, if you never pray for a sick person, you'll never see a sick person healed. Listen to that again. If you never pray for a sick person, you'll never see a sick person healed. Just start praying for some people. I promise you this, you'll see some people healed. And when you do, it will be like a snowball picking up more and more snow coming down that mountain. And before you know it, you'll be the person that people who want to do wonders will hang around. Amen? We'll have a time of prayer at the end, but has anyone got any questions? Because obviously I've come into this kind of just thinking, right, what do these guys want to hear? How do they want to develop? We can talk about anything you want. You might have questions about certain contexts or cultures that you're in. Please, just let's go for it. Fire it up. I don't promise I'll be answer. Yeah, what's your name? Ryan, nice to meet you. Thanks, Very good. I find a lot of Christian friends. I spend time with my grandparents, it's really hard. Yeah. Especially when you get the same conversation over and over again. Yeah. 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 It's a great question. My um my granddad died two years ago. My granddad and I were very close. He shared the same birthday as me. So March the 19th was his birthday. So throughout my whole life, we had a very close relationship. When I became a Christian at the age of 21, he thought I'd been hypnotized. No joke. He used to say to me, are you going to drag me along to that place to be hypnotized? Because he was like, we were great friends as well as family. We had a good relationship, but he just could never get the God thing. So even though he loved me and he enjoyed spending time with me and all that, um, and I appreciate not every context is like that. People can go the other way where they no longer want to spend time with us. But the point I'm making here is that in that, when I first started evangelizing him, I was like hitting him over the head with the Bible all the time because I was so hungry for him to know the Lord. I was so passionate. I wanted him to know the Lord as I did with the rest of my family. And, it, and, and you kind of got this fervor within you which I think is what you're kind of describing of, well, they're lost, and if they die, they're going to go to hell, and they're going to be go to a lost eternity. How do I work all this stuff out, right? Now, I think, first of all, God is merciful, right? Yes, there is a literal hell, and yes, there is a literal heaven, but God is faithful. Salvation is for the household, right? Now, I'm not saying there that people who don't know Christ suddenly will end up in heaven. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is God is often willing to play the long game. And we don't know what will happen in the last minute of someone's life. So we, can, so we must kind of live with a healthy fear of God, but also um, an honesty before God and before our family that there was a time when we weren't there. Right? There was a time when we knew nothing. And actually, you know, they're not just going to suddenly grow because we have necessarily. So with my granddad, over the time, what I realized is 
like just invite you to everything at church all the time, it, it wears a bit thin because it's like, you know, he needed to see it lived out. So I lived out my faith before him. He saw the growth and then three weeks before he died, he was, it was very sad two years ago now, but he was kind of bed bound for the first time ever in his life. You know, my granddad fought in World War II and he was an activist for the Labour Party. That's the sort of guy he was, knocking doors all the time, like never wanted to stop driving. It was just one of them. And here he is bed bound and I was able to lead him to Jesus, right? And he wept his way to Jesus. Now, I never thought I would see that day in the flesh, but by faith, I held on to it. And I used to pray, and I'm not one of these people who says I used to pray every day. I didn't used to pray every day for him, but when God brought into memory, I used to pray for him, and I would pray passionately, and I would pray for him as if he was saved. So I'd be like, Father, I thank you that one day I am going to see him repent of his sin. You're going to grant us that. I believe it. And I felt the power. You know, I felt so, just such a sense of God when I used to pray like that. So I would pray as if he was, pray by faith, because we walk by faith, we see by faith. So sometimes I think we give the devil too much credit, right? Because you're, is most of your family not saved? All of them are not saved, yeah. Well, Jesus has saved you to completely transform that lineage. That is what I believe. And I believe that's really biblical as well. Because God is interested in the whole line of people, not just individuals. So if we accept that, like it says in the book of Acts about family salvation, household salvation, then we have to accept that God is doing something in us so he can do something through us. So I'd encourage you, live out your life well before God. Don't be too discouraged if they don't jump straight on board. They may be making, well, they are making a journey already, I'm sure. Pray with faith. You know, lots of people pray, but not many people pray with faith. Praying with faith doesn't have to be long. Most of Jesus' words of declaration over people was just, be healed. He, he just spoke faith. He just did it. He didn't pray for necessarily hours and hours for someone to get healed. He just simply went in there and said, sickness, go. But he did it with faith. He did it to move mountains. And the Bible says if you've got faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain and it will move. So I'd encourage you, keep praying for them. Keep witnessing to them. Um, share the gospel when they invite you to. You know, When they ask for the reason of hope within you. Because what I used to do, I used to get the biggest King James Bible I could find and slap it in his face. Right? <laughs> Doesn't work in the majority of cases. But when you pray and you wait on the Lord, then he gives you opportunities. Like throughout my granddad's life, there was, there was moments that I can remember where those God conversations would come up. But the rest of the time, we'd just be speaking about normal stuff. But then when the God stuff came up, I was ready because I prayed about it. I was ready for the conversation and the Holy Spirit was leading us there. Everything in this is doing what he tells you to do. Because when, whether it's words, works, or wonders, you need to know what to use at that point in time. Words, works, or wonders. You know? So, for example, I'm not very good at sending birthday cards, and neither is my wife. We're rubbish at it. Some people, they've got them like, planned out, haven't they, for the next two years, and they're ready to post. We're rubbish. I promise you, if you're my friend, I still love you, but you probably won't get a birthday card. <laughs> but for my granddad, getting a birthday card from me was everything. You know what I mean? 
So I made sure that that was done. I made sure that whatever I was doing, I cancelled everything. I would never take a ministry opportunity, for example, on, on his birthday, because I was, I was going to be there with him, and I was going to have dinner with him. And I'd make sure he knew that as well. I could have been, but I chose to be with you, Grandad. Yeah? That's, it's, it's just works. It's just being a good follower of Jesus and all that. Is that kind of, yeah, really good. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, I kind of serve in a Tundra group that's quite multicultural, so there's a large child group of women that um, English is their first language. Yeah. Um, how do you, um, you know, get over that cultural barrier? So a lot of them are from um, Muslim countries. Yeah. Um, lots from kind of heavily Catholic-sized countries. Yeah. Um, Massive. So there's a real mix. So yeah. the language is firstly a, a barrier, but yeah. also the culture is so different. Yeah. Well, so if you go back to the toolbox, because it's a great question, we have the same thing. So we have um, we have a soft play center that we built in the church to reach out to the community. So we get a lot of unchurched people coming in. We get people from different nations coming in, etc. We run parenting stuff, stuff that's not necessarily always like right, evangelistic campaign, but it's evangelistic in nature. We're reaching out to people who don't yet know God. So in this case, you're struggling to use words, aren't you, right? Because the language barrier, they've heard it all before. Some of them, like the Muslim we met in the park today, he's got his understanding of God. There's no point in arguing it theoretically with him because you're very rarely going to win the argument there and then anyway. But what is going to break into that situation is generosity. So as a church, we started every Easter now, we do this thing where we get the church to bring Easter eggs. It's a really simple idea, just full-size Easter eggs. We end up normally getting about 2,000 Easter eggs in. And we literally, all the people that come into our building, we don't give them in the building, we visit their house, right? So we visit their house, we ask them how many kids they've got, and we just give them loads of Easter eggs, right? So the kids in the house are now thinking, mommy, the church just knocked the door and gave us Easter eggs. Well, that's pretty cool, because we're Muslims. Right? <laughs> I doubt that they're doing that. So it's good works, isn't it? Yeah, and we just bless, 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 bless. Because generosity opens the door. So then at some point, we're letting our light shine before men, so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. They're not going to glorify our Father in heaven until they've seen our good works. That's what the scripture says. Let men see the light that's in you, then they will see and glorify your Father in heaven. So I think it's those, and in that you'll, you'll find people of peace as well. You know what I mean by people of peace? So you'll find like in a group of 20, you might have one who's just receptive. They're just open, you can just tell. Just begin to work with them. Because the likelihood is then, you know, and I think as well, we have to remember, we're not always going to lead every single person to Christ as much as we would like to. And we see, this, I was telling the group yesterday, seven, for 78 weeks in our church, um, in a row, except for one Sunday, we've seen people saved. Wow. And when I'm saying people saved, I'm talking like probably between three and ten people on each Sunday, right? So we've grown as a church by about 62% in the last 12 months, right? That's, that's some serious growth. 
Now, bear in mind, five years ago, we went, we went through a big crisis as a church as well. I stepped in to move the church through that. And we're, we've kept our evangelistic edge. We're reaching out to people all the time. Some of those people, they make decisions, they don't come back, right? Yeah. Ten lepers came to Jesus, they got healed, one came back, right? Not everyone is going to follow through when they make a decision. And I think, if honest, if we were to be critical about what we do, probably some people make a decision too quickly, right? That's me being, you know, up front. And that's where I want to learn from what you guys do in RM, because you've got great discipleship models, right? We're still developing, like... How, right, how do we work with all these people that are now so in love with Jesus, they're excited, but they don't yet have the roots that you guys already have, right? That's where we're at. So I think what you do is you begin to work with those that, give, that you see fruit in, and you just begin to be generous, infiltrate the culture with them, talk to them about the Lord, invite them over for dinner, just break the barriers down in any way you can. Yeah? You're probably doing it anyway, I'm sure. Yeah, any other questions? Yeah. So the only problem I think we haven't really addressed is um, people who used to be followers. Yeah. So some of my best, oldest friends, you know, the yeah. original church crew, and one of the kids who's kept going. Mm. Um, how do you, because they know, yeah. they're smart than I am, like, I talk to them and they, they can answer the question quicker than I could. So it's not ever going to be words. Yeah. So it's got to be the other two that, mm. if they're not in my current company, they don't. Mm it's very difficult isn't it lots of people would fall away we, we see it with people and you know I think you're right in what you're saying so words they could probably tell you pretty much everything about church about language about Bible and in some senses you know that can be like information overload at times yeah. you know whereas I think what we've lost in the church is the simple gospel and you know, it always amazes. Can I tell you this story quickly? Because this is such a funny story, and you'll love this, right? So this is about maybe, this is about five years ago, right? So we're in church, and uh, we're having a Wednesday night meeting, and you know, God's moving, preaching the gospel, and made the appeal, and some people were coming forward to receive prayer, to receive Jesus, and I saw this guy coming forward, and he had his dog collar on. He was an Anglican vicar, right? So I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, vicar, visited the church, obviously wants some prayer for something, right? And he was bawling his eyes out and he got born again, <laughs> right? He told me, he messaged me the next day and said, I got born again in your church last night. He said, I've never had that experience. He's a vicar. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, it's not a criticism, understand this, but the gospel had been lost. And sometimes I think as Christians, we lose the gospel. And I'm so passionate about this. We've got to get the gospel back in our churches. We've got to get the simple, raw, powerful, flame-igniting gospel, blood of Jesus stuff that a lot of people are just scared to talk about because they think it's irrelevant. It's the most relevant thing that's ever been there. It's the only thing we have. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So I think getting back to that raw gospel, letting them see transformed lives, testimonies, you can't deny that. You know, lots of people have said to me, well, Clyde, I don't agree with you on certain parts of theology, but no one's ever debated what Jesus did in changing my life. 
It's just real, it's just raw, it's just honest. And I think we've got to get away from the churchianity and back to the real, raw gospel. That's what Jesus did. He gave them the power and he said, get on with it, guys. You know? Yeah? So there's no quick answers. I think as well, it's just walking with people, relationship with them, you know, holding it out. I've got a friend who, who came to me a few years ago. He's, you know, he's, he's living a kind of homosexual lifestyle. It's all going to be crazy for him. You know, but I, I walk with him. If he Facebook messaged me and wanted to meet up, I'd meet him for a coffee. I won't cut him off. Do you know what I mean? Did you actively keep in contact? Is that something you Loosely, yeah. yeah. Facebook, Twitter, you know, that phone calls, that. yeah. You know, meet up occasionally. And I think it's just keeping those relationships yeah. open, isn't it? A lot of the time we're known for what we're against. So as soon as someone comes and yeah. spills their mess, Oh, well, you know, you won't speak. To, he actually said that to me. You won't speak to me anymore. You're in the I'm, I'm this. No. As far as I'm concerned, Jesus dealt with the sin problem. Jesus can deal with any mess, yeah. right? It doesn't matter how big the mess is. If we undermine that, we undermine the gospel, right? Now, his lifestyle's wrong. Absolutely. It would be wrong if I went and committed adultery, looked at pornography, right? It's just mess. It would be wrong. But Jesus has dealt with the mess. And what matters is we're open, honest, integral, and we're faithful with what God's given us. And where someone's not, let him who is spiritual restore such a one who finds himself in that place. Yeah? So that's my advice. Biblical advice. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Why, why does God love to use British public transport? Why does what, sorry? Love to use British public transport when he operates spaces in Ashford. <laughs> it's a nightmare, like. You know, I've had no experience of going from reading a book to some journeys on a train, offering the attendants and say, okay, I'll take it. Let's put it to the side, I'll drink it. To say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next year? Something Christian or something. Then you see it for your life. Oh, and then immediately say, why is God alive suffering? Yeah. I'm like, oh, please go away. Please go away. Why do you think that is? Any space yeah. God will use, yeah. isn't it? And so anywhere where we can go, where people are, he'll use. And he wants to just, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I get on the bus, that's what I pray. On this bus as it is in heaven. You know, I have a con- do, you have, do, you, do you have a conversation with God throughout the day in your head? Like I do. I'm just, that's how I kind of do it. Like I, I see that scripture praying without ceasing. I don't think that means get on your knees all day next to your bed and pray. I think that means do life, be in the world, but be not of the world because you've got another conversation going on. You're here in heaven, yeah? Anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. You've just got to be open to God. So have the conversation with God while you're explaining the theology to the guy. Should we start? Can we pray quickly? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. This time is gone. Guys, I'm, I'm around for a little bit. I don't know what your plan is now, but if any of you got any more questions or you want to hang out there, please feel free. But let's just let's just wait on the Lord a minute and just pray. And let him do something in this place. Hallelujah. Yeah, Lord, we're just so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful, Lord, for one another. Thank you for every single person in this room right now. Thank you that you created them in your image. You delivered the gospel to them. They've received the gospel. And now, because they've received, they can freely give it away to other people. We ask, Father, from the top of their head, 
to the sole of their feet right now, you would fill them with your spirit. I pray that out of their belly will flow like a gushing river, rivers of living water. Lord, that will um, infiltrate every area of their communities, their colleges, their universities, their, even their businesses. Some, some of you are going to start businesses in this place as a creative anointing on your life. He's going to give you keys. And I feel that God wants to say to you that he's going to give you keys to open doors in your communities that no one has opened before. And when you open those doors, as you honor him, he is going to lead people through those doors of opportunity. In new areas of industry, technology, there's going to be just fresh anointing for creative ideas. Not explicitly necessarily uh, Christian things, but, but things that are so Christian, so faithful, so full of Jesus, that they're tangible to the world. It's going to be like salt and light to communities. Some of you are maybe in schools or you've got a passion for working in schools. I, I just pray boldness, mm -hmm. that the red tape would not tape you up, mm -hmm. but that you would have courage in those settings to do what he's telling you to do. And I, I just feel God would say to you, only do what he's explicitly telling you to do and there will be no, there will be no problem. It's when we step on our own ground that we tend to get those problems. Let him open the doors and let him be your security in that, in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, Lord, I pray a blessing on everyone. Lord, we want to be equipped. Yes. Lord, we want to be reminded of that truth, that no matter how many times it doesn't work, we're just one attempt away from when it does. Help us to use words, works, and yes. wonders effectively for you, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless Amen. you, guys.